Hello, I'm Suzanne Caprell, and this is Chanel and Muck Boots, conversations with extraordinary women who are your neighbors, co-workers, family members, and friends. These women are beautiful, wise, badass, resilient, have guts, and they get it done. Here are their stories. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Chanel and Muck Boots. Today, we are joined by Marge Bart, who is the founder and executive director of Blue Chip Animal Refuge. Uh, welcome, Marge. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invite. I think what you do is remarkable. It's fascinating. But in a way, it's also heartbreaking because you deal with a lot of animals, a lot of animals that uh, are tossed, that no one wants, that no one has time for, no one can care for, as well as various strays that are brought to blue chip. So can you start by kind of giving us a background of what blue chip is and how it came about? Okay, well, blue chip, as you said, is a no-kill animal shelter. And I always thought that animals should not be put to sleep because of behavior, because their behavior is just a reflection of what they had growing up. Just like children, we have to take our dogs as puppies and young dogs and expose them to as much as we can. We have to give them good behavior lessons. We have to introduce them to people. And lots of times, the biggest thing that dogs are diagnosed with is fear aggression. And what that is, is basically they're afraid of the world. So when you put a dog in a corner and you go to put your hand out, which is a common thing that people do, they have no recourse but to bite you because they can't escape the corner. So I developed MS when I was 32, and I decided that I needed something to motivate me every day to get up and uh, work hard. So I took early early retirement from my job, and I started the uh, no-kill shelter. And first, I started with dogs in my home. I already had a horse farm, so I wired off some of the horse stalls and took in cats and dogs. And then one thing led to another, and we built a kitty cottage, a dog kennel, and we just finished a second dog kennel. So it's grown in leaps and bounds. Last year, we adopted out over 600 dogs from 10 years ago when we adopted out four. So okay, so you started about 10 years ago. Right. How big is your property? Uh, the property is about uh, 30 acres altogether. Okay. And primarily, you're a nonprofit. Correct. So you are a 501c3, which is which is good as far as getting donations and getting grants and, and getting help from the public. What would you say is the biggest hurdle you have? So many dogs working with a lot of volunteers, obviously. Can you kind of give us a, a an example of a day in the life of being a blue chip? Yes. A typical day is uh, we start about 7.30. We don't like to get the dogs going too early because we do have neighbors. Okay. And we have to, uh, you know, be kind to them as well. So we get feeding everybody in the morning, and usually it takes at least uh, three volunteers just to do the dogs. Uh, So you feed them, you take them out to potty, and the whole routine starts over again. You've got kennels to clean, uh, dogs to walk, you've got dogs to bathe. If you've got new dogs in, we have to go through uh, an appraisal with them to see, you know, what their talents are. How do you do an appraisal? What does that mean? Um, We have a little list you go through and you test the dogs. You see how they like people. You see how they like a hand coming in their face. You see how they like treats, having food taken away from them. We have a little artificial hand that we stroke them with to see if they like that. Uh, We have different stimuli that we subject them to to see what they like. Then we introduce them to other dogs to see if they're friendly, whatever. And then within the first week, they all go to the vets. Last year, we spent a quarter of a million dollars at the vets. A quarter of a million dollars? Yes. just On what? Veterinarian expense, taking them to the vet shots, Basic stuff. Right. Whoa. And we get a lot of dogs that have been hit by cars and people can't afford to pay for them. So we do that and rehab them. But it's a tough job. Some days it's frustrating because what we always need is more volunteers. Mm -hmm. There's never enough volunteers. Like today when I left, thank goodness, College Misericordia was there with about 20 kids. So that's a great, great turnout. 
And what we'll do is 10 of them will go in the cat house and we'll treat all the cats today with revolution because they have to be treated every month to keep down on the fleas and worms and things like that. So I would say my biggest challenge is getting enough people to help all the time, number one. And number two is education. People are just, I don't want to say they're stupid, but I would say they're ignorant in this area Mm -hmm. um, to the extent that they don't realize you don't only spay and neuter animals to keep the population down, but you do it for their health. Most females that aren't spayed will develop breast cancers, and most males that aren't neutered will develop prostate cancer. So, you know, especially the men come in and say, oh, I don't want to neuter my dogs. But we will not adopt the people who don't have their other dogs spayed and neutered and don't have routine vet visits because my job is to look out for the animals. I'm really not interested in what their personal challenges are or what they think about the process they the animals just have to go to a good home. Okay, so how many how many dogs do you have today at Blue Chip? Today we have 48. You have 48. And they're all adults. We have no puppies right now. Sometimes we have mothers that, uh, you know, for example, people will realize their dog is pregnant. They won't have the money to care for the dog properly. We'll take the mom. We'll have the puppies delivered. We'll spay the mom and give her back to the people if they're good people. And this is a no-kill shelter, so that means a dog will live out his or her life. Correct. We have, a, we have a couple that we call extended stays. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> what that means is, like, for instance, we have this little Archie, and he's a Pekingese, and Archie wants to be his own boss. So he's great as long as he wants to be in the mood. If he wants to be pet, he'll let you pet him, but then he puts his ears back and says, I've had enough, and he goes back into his house, and that's the way he wants to live. So he's been probably abused early on in life, and if someone would take him and just live by those rules, Archie would be happy. But uh, they don't. They want to cuddle him, even though we tell him that's not what he wants to do. So he ends up coming back. So we've decided that Archie is a lifer. We have a couple other dogs that have been beaten so bad that they only trust a couple of us as volunteers because we see them so much in the day. And if I had another wish, it would be that people had enough patience to take a dog in and wait for them to come around. Because dogs have to trust you. They're just not automatically in love with you because you adopted them. And I I try to give the example that if I go to a party, I don't just jump into the party. I look for somebody maybe I know and I start to talk to them. The same thing with a dog. You bring them home. You don't, I said, I treat them like juvenile delinquents when they come to Blue Chip. I walk them, I feed them, but I don't pet them. I don't do anything until they get to feel comfortable with me because it's unfair to expect more from them. Is it, most of the dogs have received or been the victim of some sort of trauma. Yes. Is, is that okay? They all have. Even if it's just a matter of people coming and dropping them off and leaving them. That's trauma. Imagine what a dog feels like. It's so sad to watch them. The owner drops them oh, off. Yeah. And they keep looking at the door like, what did I do? When you're coming back. Yeah. And the poor dog, you know, people say, oh, I'm having a baby. I can't have the dog anymore. And we have a cute little pair of dogs. It's a great big dog and a little. And their owner died. And um, they love us. But we want to have them go together. So they'll be difficult to adopt because one's 11 and one's 9. But they're very well housebroken and everything. But somebody will have to want to take them in to help them. It's not all about us. Right, right. I, I Two years ago, I adopted a, a senior from Blue Chip, and that was Remy. And where Remy was dropped off because, you know, the, the uh, his former house didn't have time for him. Right. And Remy only lived maybe six months in my home. And that's difficult because, you know, you get attached to the dogs that are in your home and the dog starts to learn to trust you again. And then 
you know, you, you have to get ready to say goodbye. Do you have a lot of senior dogs at your place? No, senior dogs go quickly, believe it or not. A How lot come? of people. Why do you think that is? Well, That's because they're senior, they don't have accidents, they can be left alone for a long time. Okay, yeah. So when we get a senior dog, they go pretty quick. The ones that are a challenge are the ones that have issues. And it's just like, you know, people, they may have a little anxiety. They may have separation anxiety. They may have food aggression because they were starved. They may have major trust issues, and people have to, you know, I had a dog that I took in, and I couldn't pet him for three years because he just took that long for him to trust me. And I was willing to do it. Like, I fed him, and what if he was on the couch? I knew I couldn't sit on the couch with him Mm -hmm. because he'd bite me, and that's how fearful he was. And I just gave him time, and now he's wonderful. So the dogs necessarily aren't mean or bad dogs. They're afraid. They have stress. They have post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's what the dog that I was just talking about, I took him down to the University of Pennsylvania. And he's a coonhound. Why would you think a coonhound would want to bite you? And, I mean, he would bite me when I'd ask him to go to the bathroom. He'd bite me over food, everything. And they said, this dog has PTSD. Oh, gosh. And you are just going to have to leave him alone till he trusts you. So... I did. And probably after 100 bites, we're best friends now. What other animals do you have at Blue Chip? We have two pot-bellied pigs that people brought because, you know, everybody thinks pigs are fun. but pigs... And they don't grow, but they yes, grow. They, yeah, grow. they grow. And uh, pretty soon you need a litter box the size of a child's kiddie pool. Uh-huh. So uh, we have two pigs, and we've had numerous pigs in the past. And we have a little goat that her mother was gored by another goat. So the farmer said, I either eat her or you guys bottle feed her. So Maribel is at the farm. And uh, then we have some horses that were rescued. We have chinchillas. We have rabbits. And the exotic birds we do give to people who specialize in them because it's a little too much for us to do. And we have 140 cats. You have 140 cats. Yes. Is that normal? No. Most rescues would never do that. But somehow along the line... Uh, we we got them all, and a lot of people die and have older cats and whatever. And the big thing I tell people is make plans for your animals because yes, I don't even think that people's bodies are cold and they're bringing them to the blue chip. And Absolutely. It, it's sad, you know, because, uh, again, older animals, older dogs are easy to adopt, but not older cats because cats are much more particular. You know, they'll go out of the litter box when they're upset. They'll do a lot of things acting out. Right. And it's not necessarily that they're being bad. They're letting you know they're stressed or that they're upset. In a way, they're communicating with you. Exactly. But, you know, 140 cats is just too many. So we have two areas and it takes a huge financial burden on us. And also, again, we need at least 10 volunteers a day just to take care of all the cats. It's a financial burden, but I would think it also needs to uh, be said that it can be a emotional burden as well. It is. It gets very frustrating that people um, don't love their animals till the end. You know, they bring them and say, oh, you know, he's biting. Well, what's changed? Well, they don't want to listen. They just want to drop the dog off and be gone. And well, why didn't you spay or neuter it? Well, I didn't think that was, you know, and you hear, I don't even ask the questions anymore because I don't want to hear the answers. Because it's basically just an excuse to dump the animal. And I tell them that you fear having a child is a whole way to prepare your dog for having a baby in the house, but they don't want to hear it either. No. Or they get a dog and they don't understand. They don't do their homework. You don't get an Australian healer when you live in an apartment with little children crawling. But as what happens is the dog tries to control the kids for you. And then you're calling us saying, my dog is biting my children while he's trying to herd them. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know that that's what his job is in life. So now you're bringing him to a shelter. 
people just think, oh, that's a cute dog, that's a handsome dog, yes. or that's some whatever type of animal it is, and then reality sets in. Exactly. The responsibility and the commitment of taking care of that animal. And it's a lifetime, and they don't do their homework. Like you know, I said, they don't know what the expenses are. They don't know the type of dog. Like you said, they see it in a cage in a pet shop. And here it's going to be a huge herding dog, and you live in an apartment or have no reason to want to exercise the dog. And now it's the dog's fault he's going to be euthanized because he's being mean. So going back to um, when you were diagnosed with MS and you wanted to start something to to get you out of bed in the morning, to give you a a focus, to give you your motivation. Yes, your motivation. And what was it about what you're doing now that that was the beacon for you? Was it something that you've always wanted to do? Was there something in your life where, you know, you just bonded with an animal and it was life-changing? Or, like, why? what was it about this opening up a non-kill shelter? Well, I've always loved animals from the time I was born. And um, I just thought that I needed to give back. That, you know, having the pain and the struggle with MS, I could have simply pulled the covers over my head and called it a day and weighed 500 pounds and became mentally ill. But I decided I needed something, and dogs were something they would always keep me busy. There's never a time where I can say that I don't have time to train a dog or work with a dog. And they're just so rewarding that when we find a home for a dog that's been in the shelter, particularly for a long time, that it's just the best thing. I could tell you an example of a little dog that somebody told me they were bringing to the vet to be euthanized. So I went up to the home. And it was a young couple, and they had a new baby, and they were afraid the dog was going to kill the baby. And so the dog, you know, was fear-aggressive towards me. He was looking at me over a gate in the kitchen. What does fear-aggressive mean? It means they're fearful, and so the only way they can react is to be aggressive. Okay. Like you and I, if I'm worried about you, I can say, hey, you know, I think I'm not getting the right vibes. But a dog is just like, I don't know what to do. I'm so scared, and the only thing I could do is either run away or bite. So when you're in a house, you've got them. So I... You know, I gave her goodie treats. First, I threw them on the floor. Pretty soon, I was eat- she was eating them out of my hand, and pretty soon, we were best buds. But it took an hour and a half, and I had a lot of patience. I didn't give her any eye contact. And finally, she was my best bud. So then I said to the woman, how about you hold the baby, and I'll bring the dog over. And so I brought the dog over. Well, the lady's arms started to shake so bad. I said, this is never going to work because you are telling the dog that this baby's not good because you're shaking, and the dog sees you're not happy. And you're fearful. And I said, I've got to take the dog home because it's not going to work. And they were so afraid that something was going to happen. It would have happened because what you think happens. If I walk up to a dog and I'm fearful, the dog's going to be fearful. I give people the example of walking a child in the woods and holding their hand in a comfort way and saying, hey, the woods are good. But if I take their hand and I'm shaking and my voice is quivering and saying, oh, the woods are good, the child's not going to believe me. That's a really good point. So basically, like with a child, um, with any animal, they're picking up on your vibes. Exactly. What you're feeling is they what they feel. Sense. Yep. Yeah. And just like when you do an introduction of one dog to another, I tell people don't have a, such a tight um, Hold on the leash because you're holding that leash so tight, you're telling the dog something's bad going to happen. I said, let some slack in the leash. We still have control of both of them. Right. And then we say, hey, things are good, guys. Everybody's good. But if I said, oh, I don't know how this is going, the dogs are going to sense that. But 99% of the meet and greets go great because you give them comfort and you give them confidence. Right. Dogs are just a reflection of us. It's just like when we feel sad and we're crying, 
99% of the dogs come over and comfort us because they know what's going they on. They know. They know. You know, they can sense our feelings, and that's why they're so great at being therapy dogs or how they can sense people are having seizures. They can sense a rise in blood pressure. They can smell seizures through your breath. They are so intuitive as to what's going on that we haven't begun to tap the resources they have to offer to us. You know, saying that, what you just said about a dog being able to read so much of our senses right down to able to to get a a sense that something is happening medically by our breath is is just phenomenal mm-hmm. i mean it it is it is right there it makes me think there's so much education that needs to be shared oh, exactly. regarding these animals do you how do you not get to the point where you just throw up your arms and say, I can't do this anymore. This is insane. Um, it's too painful. It's too – how do you get yourself going every single day? Because it's got to wear on you. I mean, it, does. It, it has to wear on you. The people wear on you. Facebook wears on you. You know, no matter what you do, there's always somebody who's got to have the last word. And right. it's not – and I'm a positive person. I wake up every day and say, you know, I'm going to kick ass another day. And so when I get, you know, a lot of anger given by other people, I just – step back and say I'm not doing this for anybody but the animals and what people think of me doesn't matter if the animals are happy they're cared for and they get great homes and that's all that really matters and uh, you know that's what you have to do in life because the world can beat you down quick and you have to you know you have to be tough and uh, I think so many people suffer from PTSD and everything that we all have to look for things for self-gratification as far as, like, giving back and not just what's in it for me. Right. It's like, hey, I get self-gratification because I see that dog going to a great home. That's it. And it's the giving back. Because right. Because even when you're you're hurting or you're, you have a void in your life, um, finding something to give back, some, finding something to be right. grateful for, finding a gratitude. Exactly. You know, anchor. And for so many, that could be an animal. Yep. And I think except this whole opiate addiction, my dream would be to have a farm way out in the middle of nowhere. And all these people with problems could be there, not only have therapy, but have animal therapy. Because I think that people bonding with dogs and, and you know, working with them and giving them another challenge in life would, you know, because it, it just sickens me every day to pick up the paper and see so many young people dying. And, Absolutely. you know, we've, we've got to have solutions to this. And it, it isn't always, you know, give more drugs or rehab this place for 30 days. I think animals are just such a value to us and we don't take advantage of them. There's one thing that, that I am, um, I love saying I'm so impressed by the program um, with many of the state prisons. I know we do this here in Pennsylvania, is having the prisoners. And these are like, you know, like we're not talking like somebody just like took a candy bar. We're talking these are hardcore, really uh, uh, tough prisoners that have done some pretty horrid things. And they are actually training dogs to be service dogs. Yes. And they it's are great. Training. Yes. And they're taking shelter dogs. Yep. And training them. And we were going to get involved in that. We just didn't have enough volunteers to do it. But it is a great thing. And and I think dogs and mental health hospitals, all kinds of things. They, there's just so many things we could do with them to help people, to help ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, thousands of great dogs are killed every day because people are still breeding too many dogs. I mean, it's just so sad. That's what sickens me when somebody says, oh, I want my dog to have another litter. They're not breeding machines. They're your pets. They're your companions. Leave the breeding to the professionals. Right, the professionals. And and your dogs are part of your family. Right. And, and to watch a dog give birth is not a pretty sight. I mean, no. I, I don't think it's fun. I don't think it's enjoyable. And, uh, you know, they don't want to be mothers. They want to be your friend and they want to be your companion. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, when you talk to reputable breeders, um, individuals who really do it right, you know, the animal welfare is the number one concern. They don't exactly. treat them like they're breeding machines. And they take the dogs and they have them tested, their hips tested, yes. everything tested, so that when you get a dog, you have a 99.9 chance of getting a good dog. Whereas local breeders, especially pit bulls, they're just selling them for money. And the poor dogs, you know, in just Luzerne County, we have so many thousands of pit bulls that aren't wanted. And it's sad because they're great dogs. But again, overbreeding. Overbreeding. Do you get a lot of dogs, um, especially maybe the pit bulls, the, the, the more aggressive, in theory, types of dogs that were used for bad circumstances such as fighting? Yes. We had two pit bulls um, that were very sad. One attacked myself, one attacked a volunteer, and they were used clearly for fighting. And it's sad because, you know, they it, it's like something just flips in their brain. And, I, you know, it's probably like somebody having a bad traumatic incident and all of a sudden it's a flashback and they, they can't control themselves. Do these Are these dogs trained to fight? No, I think what's hap- what I think happens is they tie them up uh, because you find them often they either tie their feet or tie their muzzle and let these other dogs come in and beat them. And then all of a sudden they release the muzzle and stuff. And so now all the dogs are doing are fighting for their life. So it's not like they wanted to attack me particular, oh but something flashed in their mind and they were like, wow, I got to do this. And it's sad because, I mean, like Michael Vick's, Vick's dogs, some of them were able to be rehabbed, but some were not. They just get such an impression on their brain that there's no training or comfort that can change them. It's a good point you bring up about um, impression. So if you have a dog or a cat, any animal, even a horse, right, and they come from bad circumstances, they are, even when they're puppies and they're young and it's just, it's not good. Can you find with time and patience and what I call, you know, rehab, basically, um, emotional and physical and and mental rehab, do you see that the majority can be adopted out? Yes, 90% of them, I would say 98% of them can be. But sometimes when you take, there's so many strays, the amount of strays we get now have tripled. And um, you have them for, a dog doesn't show his true colors till he's wherever he is for two weeks, till he gets his comfort zone. And these dogs just started to flip, the two that I'm speaking of. And uh, so, you know, and these dogs had slept in bed with the people who had adopted them originally and everything. So what was it that day that made them flip? I don't know. And I don't know that any trainer or any dog psychologist can say why that happens. Just like people who have mental breakdowns. We don't know, but something must have happened in their past. And because they were strays, we can only assume that something bad happened to them and that they were used as some kind of fight dogs. They both had marks on them. And one wasn't even a pit. One was a uh, a bulldog. So, you know, pits get a bad name, but I can honestly say that uh, the little chihuahuas are the ones you got to watch out for. You How know, come? Why? Well, they're the little biters, you know, the <laughs> ankle biters. And uh, yeah. people get them for little people. And I always say when you have children, you got to get them a robust dog, something that if they drop on the floor is not going to get a, you know, a traumatic injury. And chihuahuas, they get picked on by little people, you know, children and so they become mean to protect, again, fear aggression. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, it's, you know, fight or flight. You pretty much do this every single day, don't you? Just kind about like every a day. farmer. You don't yep. get a day off. No nope. holidays, no snow days. Nope. In fact, I like holidays because maybe there'll be a few less people. I love people coming to see the animals, but not to come and treat it like a petting zoo. You know, they want to bring nine children, and I say to them, you could look around. But these are dogs that have gone through emotional 
problems. You know, even a good dog that's been dropped off, he's going through sadness. You know, he's depressed. Most dogs don't eat for two days after they're dropped off. They get blood in their stool because they're stressed. And, you know, they need time to adjust. And so it isn't good to surround them with a bunch of, you know, screaming children. So we try to, you know, when you come to the farm, respect the fact that these animals are, they're not zoo animals. They're here to find a home and they need understanding and time. And they need to feel safe and they need to feel secure. Right. And loud children are particularly, you know, you probably, everybody sees when children come in screaming, it's not a comfort to anybody. When you're with the animals, um, you have chinchillas now and you have your cats and you have your horses and your goat. So total, just give kind of give me an overview of how many animals right now total do you have at Blue Chip? It was probably 300. Okay. So there's 300. And... You have vet care, so hopefully you have you have relationships with veterinarians um, and, and various facilities that I hope would give you a price break. Yes, we have three vets that we work with, and okay. they give us price uh, breaks, and those are the three we primarily use. But like I said, the quarter of a million is is with the price. That break. is just incredible. I mean, well, when we get a dog, I I don't believe it's fair to adopt a dog out without totally knowing what it's about, and that's why we take it to the vet. We have it checked. Um, we have the test done. So an average dog that we adopt out for 200 we've spent at least three, 350 on. So we're losing 150 And the cats, you lose hundreds on every cat. Um, but like I said, you do it because we're here to help the animals. It's certainly, it is a nonprofit, but it's hard going out and always recruiting money. Absolutely. Yes, I know that. As a, as a fundraiser, <laughs> yes. I, am, I am very, very aware of the, uh, the and challenge. And the hardest thing to do is ask for money. But when you believe so deeply in right. something, it's like you get up every day and, and I get that. It's yep. like, I'm doing it for this. I'm not doing it for me. I'm right. doing it for the end result. Um, so basically, what are your sources of income? Is it is it pretty much fundraising, fundraising, fundraising all it's the time? It's actually private donations. We okay. have a lot of good people who believe in us, and they, you know, when we say we've got a need, they re- they reach out and help us. Um, a fundraisers probably only generate about ten percent of our income, and we don't have the resources to go out and fundraise because if somebody says you want to come do a fundraiser, it's like okay. I'm going to take two dogs away from the farm that somebody might come and adopt today. Plus, I'm going to take two volunteers that could be here doing a lot of things. So it's tough. Fundraising, um, it, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to manage and to balance with everything else going on, mm-hmm. unless somebody else does the fundraising for you. Absolutely, which is, which is something that, you know, I'm hoping which our, a lot of people do. our listeners would, would want to do right. that, you know, because we are going to, on um, ChanelandMuckBoots.com, we will have... Your story, the story of the animals, as well as um, a link to your your website and your Facebook page, because the whole idea is, you know, everyone who is who we talk to in this program are just incredible, and they just get amazing things done. They get it done is 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 kind of like what what our what our motto is. Um, what do you think people don't know about you? They see Marge, they know Marge, they know Marge from from Blue Chip, and you're out there and and you're doing all this incredible work. Um, but what is it that you'd like to share with with listeners that maybe they don't know this about you? Is there anything like really cool that you want to share about who you are? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I think pretty much anybody because by the farm every day sees what I do. But I always tell people, you know, you could be a college graduate. I have a master's in business and whatever. But, you know, muck and stalls and picking up dog poop is just as rewarding as anything else I've done in life. I totally, totally get that. You know, I ran a plant and it's great working with people. But... 
animals just, I mean, every day they look at you and say thanks. And, uh, you know, it's just so rewarding that when you find a good home, especially for a troubled dog, like that dog I was just talking about that was so scared. She went home yesterday, and, and all the volunteers were just because she was so... She she was so broken that these two people who had her had her for three years and all of a sudden dump her because of a baby. And I'm not saying that I don't mean to be condescending about I having understand. a baby. Yeah. But, you know, wasn't she part of the family? Yeah. And now she's heartbroken. And now she's been adopted by a great couple that uh, she loves them as much as she loved me. Like they said, she loves you more. I said, that's because she's only been with me. She'll love you when you take her home. And they called this morning and said, you're right. She's hugging us on the chair. And that's the way it goes. And that's what we're all about. What would you say to listeners who have a, uh, quote, you know, problem child or a dog that they think is getting too old or a dog that, you know, people just say, I'm going to get rid of the dog. I'm going to have the dog put down. I'm going to whatever, you know, what would you say to those people who are really thinking about stopping and and breaking that bond? And there's a lot of reasons. There's illness. There's people going to hospice. I mean, life happens and we certainly understand that. Right. Well, I always tell people, make plans for your animals. I mean, have a will. Yes. Have some money set aside that. for yep. them. And, you know, when your dog gets old, you'll know when it's too much for your dog, when they can't get up anymore or whatever. But when people call me and say, you know, my 20-year-old dog is having accidents in the kitchen. I was thinking about bringing her up to you. And I said, you know what? And I try to educate them over the fact that, yeah, we're going to have accidents when we're 90 years old, too. Sure we are. So you... Bringing that dog to the shelter would be the worst thing in the world you could do. I said either, you know, make accommodations for the dog, tile floors, pee pads, whatever, and talk to your vet about some medicine. But don't ever bring it to a shelter, an old dog, because, you know what, do the right thing and put him to sleep if you really don't want to have him anymore. But don't pass his problem on elsewhere because bringing a dog to a shelter, even I think ours is a nice shelter, but it's still traumatic. It's, I mean... It's just heartbreaking to see them. And they look at the owners, drive away in the car. And then when you're walking down the street, they look at every car. (sighs) And it's just heart-wrenching, you know. And then after two weeks, they're good. Like, they're good to go. But it's great that they're like that. The dogs live in the moment. Yes. Because then they bond with us. And that's great, too. And the volunteers sometimes will be like, oh, I I hate to see him getting adopted. But they know that he's going to a better home. You know, with the shelter, he's just one of many. Sure. you know, he's got his lifelong buddy. You know, when you adopt and you want the dogs to go to to a home that is good, as well as the cats, as right. well as the horses or the chinchillas or the, or rabbits, the rabbits that you have, right. absolutely. So you've got to have some sort of process. We do have a process. They fill out an application. We check out their home. We check out their vet records are most important because when we call and find out that the dog hasn't been there for three years, then that's a, a no-brainer. And people get angry with this and they say, well, I didn't have the money. I said, then why do you need another dog? Right. I said, you know what? Vet care is very important because today with all the Lyme disease, dogs can die just from a flea tick if it's not tre- or a flea bite if it's not treated. And, uh, you know, they get angry with us or we don't adopt to them because they rent and their landlord says no. But, you know, they'll go to a pet store and they'll buy a cat, particularly because they're inexpensive. And uh, then the cat will get thrown out when the landlord finds out. So it's, you know, people do get angry with us. But I said, I say to them, my job is to look out for the animals. There's one thing that I find uh, quite interesting is when you go to the pet stores and, and pet stores, you know, typically are the dogs or cats or products. They're the products. products of the Amish. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> and... Uh, We'll take payments. Yes. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, 
If or they you, charge 300% interest. They'll finance the dog they'll at 300% the dog. interest. So what are the chances if somebody goes into a store and they have to do payments and they have to get it financed right. that they're going to be able to really afford? Because you're talking first round of shots. You're right. talking your microchip. You're talking spay and neuter. I mean, it's ongoing. Yes. It doesn't stop. This is not a one-shot deal. No. And that's what happens. People don't realize the expense or they bring a dog in and the dog is four years old and never saw a vet at all. And I say to them, well, I'm glad you brought it here because we'll get her good vet care. And you don't want to lecture them at that point because it's said and done. And hopefully they won't get another dog, but chances are they will. Chances are they will. We are almost out of time, and uh, I'd like you really to have um, the last word in a wrap-up. And tell me what your wish is for the animals at Blue Chip and for everybody out there listening who has a pet, who wants to get a pet, a family member, a fur kid, however we want to we want to call our family members. Um, what's your wish, and have you made plans for Blue Chip when you pass on, like I pass on? Yes, Blue Chip has an attorney who is the... Um, We'll look out for things, and my will is such that everything will go on as if I were still here. So, and my wish is that everybody treat their animals uh, like they would treat their children, and hopefully that's good, and that they don't get an animal without doing the homework. And if you travel a lot or work a lot, maybe think about a cat in a litter box instead of a dog that needs to be walked and needs a lot of attention. So do your homework before you get a pet, and take good care of them. Thank you, Marge Bart. Thank you so much from Blue Chip. And uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back to you next week. Have a great one. Bye.